1: It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history.
2: Today is September 12th, 2017. Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network Radio. As always, my co-host, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Forbes, U.S. Army retired. Good morning, sir.
3: Good morning, Gary, and as always, it's great to be with you.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Bill. I also want to remind everyone, uh, I've heard people that say, tell me that they missed the show and they really didn't want to miss that show. Well, you don't have to miss the show. You can listen to the live show, but you need to do one thing, and that's download the app. And so all you have to do is go to uh, the uh, America, VoiceAmerica.com, download their app, and you'll be able to listen to the live show um, Uh, Right from your phone. Otherwise you can listen to the live show right from the website. So I just want to remind everyone that also any of the back shows you can pull those up uh, on demand. That's all you have to do is go to the website and you'll see the the box that you click on and that's all it's going to take. I just want to remind everybody last week we had uh, Tom. Gilgannon, president of Freedom Alliance, a charitable organization which honors and supports the America's military and advocates for a strong national defense. Freedom Alliance is a charitable organization which honors and supports America's military and their families. Each year, they help thousands of troops and military families to rehabilitate and overcome the Wounds of War. To learn more, be sure to listen to the last week's archive show on the com. Now, Bill, we have some news. Uh, I heard that uh, you met... you. you uh, first of all, we want to recognize this month, which is National Suicide Month. Is that correct? Suicide Prevention Month? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. All right. And also, um, we have... Was it Charles and Glenn? They went to an event that happened yesterday, sixteen years after nine eleven. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You, you did absolutely. talk
3: to absolutely. This was the recognition of the uh, uh, the terrorist activities that took place in uh, New York and Pennsylvania, uh, and in at the Pentagon. And, and this location was at the. Pentagon uh, over in Arlington, Virginia, uh, was the president uh, and the Secretary of Defense uh, Mattis, uh, uh, in a, were were involved in a very solemn ceremony yesterday uh, to honor those that were killed uh, September eleventh, two thousand one, and uh, this was a well attended uh, event. Uh, Gary and. Uh, the president made uh, notice that this was the worst attack on our country since Pearl Harbor. And uh, we uh, wanted to uh, uh, make everyone aware that this was an attack on civilians, innocent men and women and children who were taken so needlessly uh, on September 11, 2001. So well attended and... uh, and we will always remember those uh, who were taken away from us during this incident. Gary, also, as you mentioned, um, uh, this is Suicide Prevention Month, and the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs uh, would like for us to keep this uh, month front and center, uh, and to our veterans who may be in need, uh, uh, who might be considering suicide, that the Veterans Crisis Line is available and um, and there's a number here and maybe before we end the show again, we can give it it's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 8255 if uh, you feel that there's a need uh, please be in contact but this is so important, uh, Gary, because we're losing too many of our men and women uh, to, uh, to suicides.
2: That's correct. That's correct. We are. Now, yeah. why don't you repeat that number again, Bill?
3: Sure. It's uh, 1-800-273-8255, and that's the National Crisis Line Call-In uh, Center. All right. Right. Gary also uh, in the past couple of days, the mm-hmm. the um, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has announced an award of one hundred and eighty-eight million dollars in grant funding to help homeless veterans. Uh, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a constant concern, and um, this funding, although Uh, It is a tremendous amount. We've still got a long way to go in helping our veterans uh, who are uh, in need of uh, housing. And I think maybe we'll get a chance to talk about this a little bit in the show with the uh, recent uh, uh, disasters that we've had with the hurricane, and we'll address this a little bit further, but $188 million. That has been uh, made available by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. U.S. Department wow. of Veterans Affairs. Gary is stepping up to the plate again and announcing uh, it's uh, the uh, the new um, claims processing that they want uh, everyone to be aware of, and in their um, uh, continued efforts to improve timeliness. Of service for veterans and their families, the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs has announced now a new program called the Decision Ready Claims uh, Initiative. A disability claim submitted option uh, with options to with accredited uh, veteran service organizations who will be involved in this will deliver faster claims. Uh, service to veterans and the, their families. The um, Decision Ready Claims Initiative is a collaborative effort between the VA and the veteran service organizations to receive faster decision on disability claims. And the way that this works, Gary, is that those veterans who choose to submit their claims under this process, can expect to receive a decision within thirty days from the time that the VA receives their claim. VSOs will ensure all supporting evidence, such as medical exams, military service records, uh, is included in the claim submission. This advanced preparation by the VSOs will allows claims to be assigned immediately to a claims processor for a quick decision. Gary, uh, we will be looking at that very closely uh, to see uh, uh, the progress that's made there so that we can reduce the tremendous backlog that exists in the processing of claims.
2: That's true. In other words, if we go through somebody else, um, do these organizations, the VSOs, have to be handpicked by the VA?
3: Well, I think these are the uh, the, the recognized. Uh, I like to make reference to them as the the um, the, the Big Six: uh, the uh, mm-hmm. American Legion, uh, uh, VFW Veterans of Foreign Wars, uh, Vietnam Veterans of America, uh, Disabled American Veterans, and the Paralyzed Veterans of, of America. Also, I suspect that if you. Or, as an individual or a another organization is accredited by the u s Department of Veterans affairs uh you might also contact those individuals to uh um, pursue uh the new decision ready claims uh
2: procedure all right, I can't wait to see that
3: well, we're all waiting for that
2: yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead, uh, uh, Bill, why don't we go ahead and introduce our guest, uh, and right from there, we're going to take a break and come back and and get into the show. Is that okay?
3: Yes, uh, Uh, Gary. again, we are honored to have Keith King, who uh, is the president of the Veterans Support Foundation, and as you know, uh, on August 29th, Keith was with us uh, at that time, and uh, Keith is also the president of the National Veterans Business Development Council. So Keith wears uh, two hats as president. And uh, as you said, when we come back uh, from the break, we'll ask Keith to uh, explain the differences between these two organizations and how they work together and how they complement each other. Keith, welcome again to the American heroes network
2: welcome Keith and we'll we'll come right back after this you're listening to the American heroes network radio powered by voice America on the variety channel and we'll be right back
0: find out what's happening on the voice America talk radio network by keeping up with us on
4: Twitter you can find us at voice America TRN network.com and syndicated on itunes
1: are you finding your frequency it can be described as that space between failure and success It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude, to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk. Gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show please send an email to american heroes network at gmail.com that's american heroes network at gmail.com now back to our program
2: welcome back You're here with our guest uh, keith king and uh, keith ex- why don't you explain to our audience uh, how each of the organizations you work for, uh, such as the National Veterans Business Development Council, and also uh, the organization that we're uh, showcasing today, and uh, what we'd like to do is how these organizations complement each other.
5: Well, th- let me start with the Veterans uh, Support Foundation because. We run a multitude of different programs, but I think the key is not only our transitional, uh, you know, program supportive housing for homeless veterans and also our permanent residency, but the transitional housing is set up to take our veterans off the streets and get them clean and sober, train them, get them, you know, with health and education, vocational, and basically get them ready to, to live an independent life. Um, we also help them with jobs and jobs placements, which is part, I guess, if you look at ultimately where we like to go in the sense of the National Veteran Business Development Council, is the amazing recovery and the resiliency of a lot of our veterans who have gone from incredible successful careers to homelessness back to becoming um, active involved in the community and back into society and some of them obviously would have the opportunity and the drive also to create their own business so if that does happen, obviously, with the National Veteran Business Development Council, we are here to then not only get them certified, but open up new opportunities for them to work with major corporations. So, in many ways, the NVBDC is kind of a adjunct or a continuation, um, you know, from uh, where we kind of start with the VSF because. The VSF is kind of unique in the sense that we help individual veterans through our homeless program, but what we do is what we call a force multiplier because primarily we give money to other veteran foundations. And so okay. if a veteran foundation needs help to do their job, we give money, grants, grants, uh, we award those grants to those veteran-focused foundations. And so that's, um, you know, one of the kind of things that if you look at how the VSF really does impact um, not only our veterans, but frankly nationwide, um, is because of the kind of work that we do in helping you know, um, other very active and, and successful programs or at least programs become successful with, you know, our financial support.
2: Well, I mean, it seems to me that uh, you do quite a lot for these veterans. Now, the grants themselves, are, the, like you mentioned, are they through the, an organization you're providing that organization or do you provide um, uh, maybe a veteran that's in need of that grant?
5: Well, what we, we have a process where a, a, a foundation um, needs to apply, and that's all online, and uh-huh. they can go on and apply to receive a grant. Um, our board of directors meets once a year to sit down and literally review every grant request. Um, we go through them, evaluate them, and look at what money we have, and see what we can do to allocate in the funds um, to programs that we deem um, are beneficial and, frankly, that we feel that we can help more in the sense that uh, if the foundation has funding, if it has matching funds, if it has other programs that are already up and running that we can, by giving them you know, direct funds, uh, help them to do a better job, That's what we're looking for. So we have a lot of success stories from the foundations that it's kind of hard sometimes in an abstract, but, you know, when they write back and say, hey, you know, we helped 100 veterans or 80 veterans or whatever the number is, and those guys, you know, um, send us letters or guys and and the ladies, you know, that – we were a godsend or we were a blessing or without our help they wouldn't have been able to survive. Um, we know that we're doing good work out in in, in the States.
2: Yes, that's true. Very true. And Bill?
3: Well, Keith, uh, let's follow up on that uh, because this is quite interesting and uh, I know of some situations that exist around the country. So let's, let's kind of break this down in a step-by-step process. Uh, say a, a veteran service organization, and we mentioned um, uh, some earlier, the American Legion, the VFW, the DAV, uh, if, if uh, those organizations, uh, say, like at the, uh, at the state level, Uh, has has got a foundation, an existing foundation that is uh, working in support to a uh, local organization that deals with homelessness, Uh, is, that I understand this correctly, that the uh, foundation from that VSO would make the request to the Veterans Service Foundation for a grant in support uh, specifically for matching funds to the local uh, homeless operation?
5: Well, let me clarify that a little bit for you, Bill. It's a great question because really what goes on is we are the largest funding body for the Vietnam Veterans of America Service Officer Program, and I believe okay. uh, currently 15 states. And you know, a lot of the states have multiple offices. So, you know, the 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 VBA in particular, their service officer program, the legal, you know, the appeals, all of that process, as you know, takes a lot of money. Sure. And so, every year, the VBA uh, in particular is the one service officer program that you know we support historically. Um, You know, we have constant uh, interaction with with the BBA. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, again, if we saw a program, uh, regardless of what the the organization is um, that we felt that we could help, uh, we would encourage them to submit, you know, their application um, and, you know, and and, and fill out the grant. Um, You know, we don't. Uh, hold it against the VFW or VVA or, I mean, the American Legion or DAV or any of the other groups, Um, you know, we're looking to maximize our contributions, and we can do that through really well-ran, well-organized other, you know, veteran-supporting type of um, operations. So uh, I'll give you an example of if you have any uh Vietnam veterans um who are listening they I'm sure remember you know the acronym MACV or MacV well um you know Gary I think um, this might be closer to your heart there's a group called the Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans or MacV uh-huh and
3: <laughs> they
5: have been yeah okay so you know those boys are clever um But we have been helping them for years, and one of the things that they have seen is an increase in the OIF and OEF veterans, and frankly, um, the amount of requests for their assistance and their families uh, have been up like 50 percent over the last couple of years Well, they continue to come back to us and say, hey, this is our project. This is what we're doing to help these guys, you know, readjust and support them, um, as they come back home. So, you know, that's just one example of one of the organizations. Um, I think right now we currently, uh, are funding operations on, I believe, roughly 30-some states. Um, right now, but again, um, overall, I think we have we have touched, yeah, you know, at least forty-eight of the states. You know, but right now, I think we're in about thirty of them. So, you know, we try to make sure that, um, you know, if you guys, you know, if, if there's a program out there that is supporting our veterans um, and they need additional help or funding, you know, um, we want we want to know about it.
3: Well, that's that, that. That's great, Keith. Because you know, uh, just to name uh, at least one organization uh, uh, here in the uh, in the Maryland area, and you've probably dealt with them, and they've done a great job. Uh, that's the uh, Maryland Center for Veterans Education and Training out of Baltimore. It's known as the uh, MACVET. And um, they've done a tremendous job there. Uh, that organization started probably about 20 years ago with uh, Colonel Charles Williams, who uh, I guess in the last four or five years passed away. And they've changed a significant number of lives, you know, in this particular area. And folks have come mm-hmm. into that program from across the country. I mean, sure. because it uh, has had such a great uh, uh, success stories.
5: Well, one one of the programs that we have sponsored off and on uh, for a number of years is a group called Veterans Against Drugs, and right now um, that group is probably the strongest in West Virginia. And again, it's one of the things where they uh, that program really focuses on. Grade school, kindergarten through eighth grade, uh, students to talk about drug abuse and drug related crimes and, you know, how that affects their families, their neighbors, their friends, and all of that. And again, these are the kind of programs that we look at and say, well, if we can help fund this program and get that message out, you know, that's for our future. Uh, that's for America's future. And those are the kind of programs that we don't, you know, can't put a dollar amount on um, you know, the value of changing one life or the value of being able to educate these kids and something we say or something we do in that program that helps you know, keep those kids off of drugs or keeps them involved in school activities and playing sports or whatever and basically staying drug free. So when you look at the potential, or at least what I call the potential, in the sense of the programs that are out there, they are some absolutely fascinating programs. Um, you know, and in, in, in this case, I, I love that program simply because it's not something that we're focused on the veterans. We're focused on the children. But I have seen that program and the impact when you walk in the door and you say, hey, I'm a veteran. I served my country. I was in the military, and I'm opposed to this. Um, and I think that carries some weight. You know, uh, and and that, I think, is something we can all be uh, proud of.
3: Well, absolutely, and I think uh, uh, that can go a long way. And and again, back to the VSOs, it's an opportunity there with, you know, support from the Veterans Sur- uh, Support Foundation, along with the commitment, you know, from the VSO to match that, it further, uh, with, with those two together, you know, provides even more funding for these organizations that are do doing great jobs out there to carry out their mission.
5: Well, and, and that was, you know, the fact that we have three transitional houses and one permanent house in Connecticut in Connecticut came out uh, and you know basically announced that they put a end you know to um, homelessness in you know in, in the state of Connecticut and in that press release and in that announcement, they specifically named you know the Veterans Support Foundation as one of the their partners and uh, one of the reasons why they could make that announcement. And, and I heard you earlier talking about the amount of money that the VA is contributing to homelessness. Well, the fact is, is if we do not have those funds, if in fact, because of the level of work that we do, especially the permanent housing, permanent housing generally is regarded for the veterans who frankly just do not cope well in society and they generally are not employed um, they or if they are it's on a, more on a part time basis um, you know they need medical care they need counseling they need to have a sense of permanency in their lives and that program is something that all you need to do is sit down and talk to one of the veterans and get a sense of the value of having a permanent house for them to live in. Um, and you know that you're doing good because, again, when you look at this stuff and you talk about the number of veterans who have been through any one of the different you know programs that are out there and what happens to them and how successful that program is, We measure our success by the number who come through our program who then basically graduate from our program and get a job if they want a job or get their own apartment set up and get their own life back and frankly, you know, become what we call contributing member of society again.
2: All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, Powered Voice America on a variety channel, and we'll be right back.
6: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
4: AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and syndicated on iTunes. What makes a great leader? For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter as the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com.
1: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. you are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork
2: at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back here with our guest, uh, Keith King, president for the Veterans Support Foundation. Keith, how successful is your service officer program that you have?
5: Well, we we believe it's very successful in the sense that um, when you look at the number of claims that are filed, and you, mm-hmm. you look at the number of what we call positive results, um, you know we rank you know in the top um, of all the VSOs. Um, the other yardstick that I'm not a particular big fan of, but of course, it's, you know, whenever you're dealing with this, is the cumulative amount of an award. And you know, when you start looking at these numbers, um, you know, it gets to be millions, hundreds of millions of dollars very quickly. Well, you know, if you're dealing with thousands of, of claims... You know, and somebody is awarded that claim. I mean, the, the, the math is just incredible. So we uh, personally, um, what I like is the fact that, you know, our guys um, are not only highly trained uh, and retrained constantly, uh, but we also uh, train other organizations and their service officers as well, Um you know, so our service officer program is highly regarded. And, you know, the thing that we talk about is, you yeah, know, under the name, you know, the Vietnam Veterans of America, but that's somewhat misleading because, um, you know, we handle cases for all veterans of all ages and of all wars. I mean, um, I just referred a gentleman from the Korean War to one of the service officers uh, for the VBA. Um You know, obviously we cover Vietnam, but the Gulf War, Iraq, Desert Storm, Afghanistan, um, you know, we cover all of them. So if you're a veteran and you are looking for your benefits or at least looking to, you know, file a claim with the VA, um, obviously I can recommend that um, you go and talk to Vietnam Veterans of American Service Officer Program.
2: Are these programs also that you offer to veterans that, that would like to become a service officer?
5: Yeah, again, um, as a matter of fact, it's interesting you brought that up. Thank you. One of the things that we are actively involved in, and um, matter of fact, just late, late last week um, we re- had a meeting where we are actively recruiting the what we call the younger veterans, um, you know, the golf in Iraq and Desert Storm Afghanistan vets, to become service officers, you know the the reality of the you know the Vietnam War. Um, you know we're all in our 60s. Um, a lot of us are now pushing 70, um, and so you know there's a certain amount of reality here that uh, you know we're the old guys and we need to bring in fresh you know fresh legs, fresh eyes, fresh ears. So we want to find and train the younger veterans, but. You know, that um, obviously is something that, uh, as the president of, of the Veteran Support Foundation, uh, I'm involved in only because of the uh, contributions and financial support that we give to the VVA. But the VBA has, you know, a full-time staff of professionals who run and operate, you know, that service officer program that, you know, I interact with, um, you know, quite consistently.
2: Mm -hmm. are we still there yeah okay I thought scare me there for a minute (laughs) well I was done with my thought (laughs) (laughs) all right now as far as uh, uh, the events I mean you said you're in uh, did you say 15 states Uh, the VVA yes okay the
5: VVA service officer program we fund other programs other than the VVA, um, like I said, the other veteran foundations that we support, we're in 30 other states. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I know a lot of listeners are, are wondering where does your funding come from? You do a lot of events then, don't you?
5: We do all kinds of different fundraising um, things, you know, and again, it, it's a combination of uh, the events, the CFC, um, you know the, the combined federal campaign, which uh, you may know has gone through some tremendous changes. Um, you know and we do you know marketing, um, we have to at this point, um, and we do get funds from, from, the, uh, from the VA uh, without the housing support from the VA, we couldn't continue our houses. They are very expensive programs. Um, and frankly, we get a lot of support from other foundations, and you know that's always great. And frankly, um, you know we we get a lot of what we call community support and organizational type support. Uh, you know the ALCS, uh, various churches, um, you know some of the uh, colleges, and frankly, um, you know some of the stores as well. So. Uh, we've, we've gotten quite a, uh, you know, a cross of different funds to keep us you know, operating. But I do want to make a point about that.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: My entire board, including myself, are not paid. We do this because we can, because we believe in what we're doing, and we do not take a penny for this. I do not have a salary. Uh, the only people who are paid in my program... Are my people who are actually my uh, director, who is running the the homeless program in Connecticut, and, and her staff, um, who have to be you know trained and educated in making sure that we deliver all of those skills. But they are paid to help make sure our veterans are successful. Uh, but they're the only ones who is paid. None of the officers, none of the board is paid at all.
2: That's wonderful. And Dale?
3: Well, uh, Keith, you know, you've, you've, you've talked about the uh, Vietnam Veterans of America, and they do a uh, a tremendous job that's to be applauded uh, across a lot of areas. And there's one individual I'm, I'm almost sure that you know who's there day to day, and that's Rick Weidman. That name ring a bell to you?
5: Yeah, well, Rick and I are, are long-term friends. Um, Rick is, in many ways, um, one of the guys who helped create the Vietnam Veterans of America, and uh, he and I have, uh, have a similar path in the sense of veterans and veterans' involvement um, his started more like in 1979. Mine started in, in 1980. So yeah, I know Rick very well.
3: <laughs> outstanding individual. I mean, tremendously, you know, top level. I mean, with what they do and uh, with their uh, uh, service program and and all of the services to veterans across the board. It's just simply outstanding.
5: Well, I, you know, I've had the pleasure, I guess, and the honor. Um, I'm one of the the guys who helped organize uh, one of the first chapters in the Vietnam Veterans of America. One of the first uh, state councils. Um, you know, I, I hold various titles from that time, including you know what is known as the state president, or the other groups called the state commander. So, you know, I've been deeply involved in it, and frankly, um, when we created the Veterans Support Foundation, um, that was a transition out of what was called the VVAF or the Vietnam Veterans Assistance Fund. And part of that was a recognition that as we get older, and we being the Vietnam vets, get older that we had to be, get prepared be, to turn over the operation of our foundation to the what we call the younger vets and I have done a very deliberate attempt to go out and recruit Iraq and Afghan and the vets and desert storm vets and make sure that they're on our board that we, you know, involve them in the decisions. We involve them uh, as officers. My uh, vice president is, in fact, a Iraq vet. So, you know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we talk about with the Veterans Support Foundation is that, yes, we support Vietnam veterans. Yes, we support the Vietnam Veterans of America. But that's why I brought up the other programs around the country That are not Vietnam focused. And frankly, uh, we are working very closely with um, a lot of organizations that are focused on helping, again, the Iraq and Afghan vets uh, and Desert Storm vets uh, to make sure that our foundation continues um, long after, you know, unfortunately, the Vietnam veterans, uh, you know, pass on.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, Keith, I, I'm, I'm on the website right now, and I'm looking at the, uh, the uh, projects by state. And mm-hmm. that's sort of a lead into to uh, an experience in, in the past two weeks with these devastating hurricanes that we had in Texas and Florida yep. and probably uh, Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee, North, South Carolina, wherever it is, at, as we speak. Uh, Veterans who are affected by this and, say, who may need housing. I see uh, where Hawaii is indicated. But, you know, we've also got veterans in Puerto Rico. We've got veterans in the U.S. Virgin Islands. With this devastating impact of this hurricane, how can those individuals right now, because this is an emergency right now, can tap into these services, they may be, have become uh, uh, homeless or will be without shelter for a while. How can they access the uh, this system and and the, and the projects that's offered by the Veterans uh, Service Foundation for
5: help? Yeah, Veterans Support Foundation. Well, in, on the site you'll see it says, Apply for Support. Yeah. one of the things that we are doing is taking a look at uh, the grant cycle, which at this point we normally open and then close for specific periods. Because frankly, the amount of grants that we can offer, um, you know, it, it is it, within a time frame, and we're talking about opening that up in the sense of saying, okay. Um, we, you know, understand that these are emergencies. But the other thing that we are encouraging people to do is simply because you can see on our site, you know, contact us and let us know. Because, frankly, we are working right now to raise some funds and open up some of our uh, opportunities uh, for our veterans down in Texas. We're already in communications um, with a lot of those guys, and, and we're trying to figure out how we can get money to them quickly. And, um, uh, you know, again, now with Florida, we're trying to do the same thing. So, you know, there's ways of getting a hold of us, reach out to us, let us know what's going on. Um, And, you know, we will definitely respond. Uh, We have somebody, you know, uh, following up on all of these things uh, very quickly.
2: Right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on a variety channel, and we'll be right back.
1: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. stimulating talk
6: gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast.
1: All the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
2: Welcome back. We are our guest, Keith King, president of the Veteran Support Foundation. Now, Keith, we all understand the importance of. Of volunteers, they're the backbone of any and all organizations. And uh, do you have a section in there in case I want to decide to to come on board and whether you're doing an event and help out?
5: Yeah, again, these are the kind of things that there's a on our website. There's a tab says how to help, and you know if you click that on, there's a lot of different opportunities and different things that we're looking for. Um, you know, besides just the donations, uh, obviously your time, uh, your energy, uh, the willingness to serve, I am actively looking for new board members. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the uh, things that we really do want is, what well, again, the really the Persian Gulf or the Gulf War veterans and younger Um you know, it is one of those things where the board uh, has said, hey, we need to get more people and more talent. And I think a lot of the information um, in regards to going to our website, it is the vsf-usa.org. And you've got to make sure you put the dash in, not an underscore. So it's vsf-usa.org. And, again, one of the things when we talk about the VSF and contacting us, again, we have our phone number and we have our email on the site. So if, as we were talking about earlier with the veterans out of Florida and out of Texas who may need help, um, please contact us. And, you know, we are working very, very hard right now to be able to make sure that – you know, we, if we can, open up the opportunities to see what we can do, um, you know, to help our fellow veterans.
2: Right. Now, you also have an event coming up, right? Well, yeah, if I
5: may, um, you know, in the last interview, we, we had so many great questions from you guys <laughs> that I uh, completely forgot about my event, and, and, and my board was a little upset. Uh, For the National Veteran Business Development Council, And if you are a veteran uh, and own a business, um, we have an event here in Detroit, November 7th and 8th, and you can always go to the nbbdc.org website. Uh, But this is an event where we're going to have some of the largest corporations in America in one room at one time, and we're scheduling what we call one-on-one meetings. So if you ever thought... Of an opportunity to meet with some of the various companies from around the country, both high tech, automotive, foods, just the incredible range. Um, I would recommend that you consider coming here to Detroit. Um, as I've told people, you know, tell me anywhere in your life you know, as a business person you've ever had the opportunity to sit down and talk to 35 to 40 of the largest companies in the world, and they actually want to talk to you. Well, that's going to happen if you're a veteran business here in Detroit, November 7th and 8th. And again, thank you for that. Uh, like I said, um, uh, I forgot to mention that last last interview. So <laughs> Now, again, if I may, just to backtrack, I do want to reiterate that if you are interested in volunteering, and again, thank you for that. Uh, in the sense of actually board of directors. The way that we express this is that you'll have an opportunity to work with not only some really very dedicated um, veteran advocates, but people who know how to run a national organization. So you get real-life firsthand experience in running it, Um, And we, you know, spend most of our time on the phones and, you know, video conferencing. Um, And then we have an annual face-to-face meeting. But uh, we do a lot of work. uh, And uh, I think it's something that you can be proud of.
2: All right. Again, I uh, just want to let everyone know that uh, uh, don't forget about the crisis uh, national crisis line, which is one 8255 and also, um, Keith, what I'd like you to do uh, is give her You have something that you want to share with our listeners in closing.
5: Yeah. I, again, what I'd like everyone to know is is that. There is so much need, and the fact that we organized ourselves in the premise of Veteran Helping veteran. Um, we are a veteran organization, ran by veterans, and to help veterans. And if that appeals to you, if that's something that you have some time or energy to give, then definitely would like to talk to you. Um, you know, we believe, in being a Vietnam vet myself, um, I know what it was like when I came home, and we formed our organization based on the fact that if we didn't help each other, we weren't going to get help. Well, that really is kind of extended to the Veteran Support Foundation as well, because when we look at what we can do, and I, th- I use the term force multiplier, if we have another organization that is out there doing good work for the VS for other veterans, and you can use some financial help, we want to know about you as well. And so together, we can definitely help address the problems in the transition. Um, I talk about this in the sense that my son is a Persian Gulf veteran. My nephew did two tours in Iraq. My grandson just got out of the Army, what, five months ago, six months ago now, And so what I look at is an extension of the next generation of veterans. And if that appeals to you, we'd like to know about it.
3: All
2: right. Bill?
3: Well, Keith, again, thank you for all that you do in uh, both programs that uh, you head up. And, uh, you know, uh, I think we touched on this in in, in our first program that – the, the void that exists in our veterans communicate uh, 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 veterans community uh, of information to be able to be empowered with information is so important. I think there are tremendous opportunities with your organization, other organizations, uh, similar. Uh, to network and for us to be able to get this information out, especially, uh, on the, uh, American Heroes Network is so important. So, uh, thank you for what you do. Uh, and it's veterans helping veterans that I think is going to get us as close and across the finish line as where we need to be. So, thanks again for being with us and, we hope we can call on you again. Well, oh, thank definitely. you, Gary.
5: You know, Bill, you and Gary both, you know, deserve a lot of credit for what you guys do, and and, and I know that, you know, as host uh, of this is a labor of love for you guys. But getting that word out is critical, and I agree with you on on all of those points. And I want to thank both of you for the time you've given to me and to helping our fellow veterans get this uh, message out. So, Dan, um, answer your last comment. If I can uh, be of help to you, uh, you've got my phone number, so I'd be more than happy to jump
2: in and be of help wherever I can. I appreciate that, Keith. Thank you. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thanks to uh, for all our listeners and supporters. And remember, we spotlight and promote the best available information of interest to America's veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any mobile device. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Bill and our guest, Keith King. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Be safe out there.
1: Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.
6: We are America, and we truly do believe
5: you're the backbone of our nation.
0: Staff and management.
6: through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get BetterHelp today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists,
0: Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. to take charge of whom you really are, and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond.
7: Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Lara Redmond, and I am giddy today to have a guest with me that is one of the few people that really inspires me in this body, mind, spirit world. You know, I'm 55, I've been in this industry since I was 20, And I don't have a lot of mentors or muses or people that I really look up to in this industry. Um, Today, I have one of them on with me, and her name is Dana Falsetta. I'm going to introduce her in a second, but um, I want to let everyone know about where we're going to go today. Today is about our bodies what we feel about them, what we do to them, and how we treat them. It is getting to the root of self-esteem and also understanding the meaning of the body positive movement. And if you've never heard of that, um, Dana will give us a lot to think about with respect to what that is. But it's a very important part of trying to redefine how it is to be a female In our bodies, in this world we live in, that is still so screwed up with the way we are treated as women and how we are judged on our visuals, I'm so over it, but yet I still see it, feel it, and note it everywhere. It's subliminal, it's direct, it's, you, you can't avoid it. So I'm grateful to have Dana with me today to talk about this. And um, let me tell you a little bit about Dana. She's a rock star at this point in the world. She is an international body positive yoga teacher, a writer, and an advocate for living an authentic life that begins with self-care with a combined following of over 400,000 people she shares her message across social media letting everybody understand that you can practice yoga and find a path to a truly fulfilling life no matter what your body size. Dana contributes to Well and Good and has been featured in media outlets across the globe including Shape, Upworthy, People, the Daily Mail, Om um Yoga Mantra, and more. She has been nominated for a 2017 Shorty Award, recognizing excellence in social media in the health and wellness category, and was recently named in Om Magazine's list of 100 most inspiring people. Welcome, Dana.
8: Well, thank you. That was quite the intro. I'm
7: blushing. Uh, You should be blushing because as I was saying when we opened the show, I just, I don't remember how you first came across my radar. It it had to be through the Internet because you're such a big deal on the Internet. (laughs) But I couldn't believe how beautiful you are. I I, I paint as one of my pastimes when I relax on my one day off Sunday. I always try to pull out some paints. And when I saw your beautiful body and your movement, I really wanted to paint you. (laughs) I just wanted to say, come sit. I'll paint you, please. Thank you so much you're in philly and i'm in portland oregon so i hope our paths will cross one day but for now i just welcome you to this radio show i know how many people you help all of the time and i sort of want to start maybe with your story a little bit um and then talk further about what it is you're learning teaching others because i do think we're here to teach what we're here to learn and Mm -hmm. What you note as a thread with females and their bodies that would be very relative for all our listeners across the country. But let's just start by telling the listeners, in your own words, give us an overview of your story.
8: Yeah, so I, um, I you know, I, I sort of start the whole spiel with, you know by saying that i'm I'm someone who's been heavy you know, sort of as long as I can remember, kind of back towards, you know, I hit puberty very young. I was like 10 years old and my body started changing. And I went to small schools. I went to Quaker schools. I was very lucky to have, you know, the best sort of community um, that I could have asked for. And I attribute a lot of who I am and my character to my, my Quaker education. But being in such a small setting um, you know, 10 boys and 10 girls in one class. And, you know, my body is starting to change quicker than the other nine girls. And, um, you know, it, it, became very obvious to me fairly young that I, I stood out, um, in whatever way and, you know, all sorts of things going on. You know, my parents got divorced. I could, you know, list all sorts of things, you know, whatever things happen to everybody. And they, you know, lead us, so you know whatever they do and for me, it sort of eventually manifested itself into a, a binge eating disorder that I didn't recognize that I had for years and years until recently. Um, but I think that that started when I was about 10 and I, I continued to gain weight. Um, I definitely had a tendency to gain weight. you know I was the classic why you know why are my four best friends eating whatever they want and their bodies are not changing, and you know, mine is just constantly changing. Um, so, and I carry that with me everywhere, and it sort of became this you know, when I walked into the room, I felt like the obvious one, I was often the biggest person in the room. Um, and it becomes very isolating over time. And I think, you know, I started to isolate myself and sort of believe that that was my, um, my sort of place to be. Um, you know, and also feeling like, you know, when you're, when you're big or or you have something physical, something external about you that people can see, you know, I felt like all of my insecurities and sort of all of the, all of the crap that I felt about myself, I felt like other people could see it on me. And so that sort of Led my, my life, you know, that was sort of at the forefront of everything. And so I was convinced that if I could get smaller, that I would be happier. And in my mind, it was as simple as that. It was like, if I could look like, you know, my four best friends do, um, everything would be better in my life. And so that became a goal. Um, and so I did everything that I could think of, I, every diet, you know, I did Weight Watchers a, a zillion different times. I had personal trainers, I went to fat camp, I did everything. And it was never that I couldn't lose weight, I would lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, and every single time gain it back. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, why can't I keep the weight off? You know, I, I felt like I was sort of destined to be fat and miserable, and, and in my mind those two things went hand in hand. Um, so, I hit this point. It was my freshman year of college where I was definitely at my heaviest at, I don't know, like a little over 300 pounds. And I just was like, this is it. I just have to, I have got to lose weight. I have to get smaller. I have to get control over this and, you know, get my life back together. And I look back retroactively now and I can see that. You know, I was severely depressed at various times in my life and dealing with anxiety and this eating disorder and all these things that was just not acknowledging at all because all I was focusing on was the way that I physically looked um, and not paying attention to how I felt. Um, you know, feeling is something that's recent in my life, something that I think I've really sort of shut down for a long time. So I went through this year of... Um, sort of this journey to to health, and um, it was the first time I kind of realized that I had an eating disorder, that I was responding to, um, you know, emotional triggers with food and things like that, and I I hit the gym super hard, and fast forward a year and a half, I lost 100 and something pounds, got to this new body, and of course, not surprisingly, as the trajectory of the story goes, I um, felt the same. And I actually felt worse because I had set the bar so high, the expectation was so insane for what was going to happen in my life when my body changed, and none of that happened because I didn't change along the way. And I also felt worse because everyone in my life all of a sudden was, oh, you look so great now. Oh, you know, aren't you happier, this, that, and the other thing, and I was, you know, no, I'm not. Um... And so that was probably actually one of my lowest points, which is so funny because I expected it to be the highest. It was one of my lowest points. I felt very lost because, you know, the reality that I thought was true sort of proved not to be. And then I didn't know what to do. Um, And that was sort of how I ended up walking into my first yoga class, uh, you know, shortly after that weight loss, not thinking that yoga is going to be the thing to change my life. Just let me just try something new uh, because I don't know what else to do. And that's sort of how I fell into it.
7: Wow. And and I want to just hit a couple of things you said because they're really important. And I want to start with the, the point you made about diets because I have said this so often in my public life about dieting. It doesn't work. It is a ticket to gaining weight and slowing down your metabolism. And a lot of people don't get what is a metabolism. A metabolism basically is your body clock. So if you take down your caloric intake or you restrict calories at an unhealthy level, which most diets do, you're slowing down your clock. So, the, what, what slows down your body clock age? You don't want a diet to also slow down your body clock. You want your body right. clock to operate at a healthy place that is all about fueling, caloric intake, learning how to eat. As Dana said, is what I want to emphasize because we're always going to have to eat to live We don't get to live off of oxygen alone. And so might as well really work on your relationship with food because you're always Mm going to have it in your life. And it's probably the most important love affair to work hard at having and a marriage that you want to be successful because once you understand your relationship with food It is the greatest sense of liberation and freedom. And it makes it a passionate experience. And dieting, there's no space for that in the dialogue of loving food. Food is part of life. Mm. So when you talk about the diets, the Weight Watchers, learning how to eat and getting rid of some weight in the process, what did you learn about eating that you find Relative today, like, tell us a little bit about what that looks like and what that means.
8: Well, my, you know, my, my whole experience with food has been so complicated, which is such an, you know, as I've come to look back at my life and my relationship with food, it's so interesting to me. And, you know, as I've become very transparent about all of these things and all, you know, at this point, millions of other people have said, at, you know, some rate that they have this crazy relationship with food. And it's just, it's so interesting to me how dynamic that is. Um, you know, but for me, it was like, I, I never treated food as fuel for my body. Never. I mean, in my mind, I ate purely, um, triggered by emotion. I mean, my whole life I ate like that. Um, And because I did that, you know, I think that that led to the binge eating disorder. And it it became, it becomes sort of a self-deprecating. It's like a torture device, like a self-loathing. Oh, you know, everything else in my life is so crazy and out of control, but like I have food. Um, You know, and everybody, everybody emotionally eats to some extent for sure. Um, But for me... You know, recognizing that I had this binge eating disorder, recognizing that it didn't even matter what emotion it was, happy, frustrated, sad, excited, everything made me want to eat. And once I recognized that, and for me, I mean, this is where yoga started coming into play and I found myself wanting to practice instead of eat when I had these triggers because the triggers never go away. And I think that that's a really important thing to understand is that you're always going to get. You know, these things are always going to come up, and it's always how you are going to react to it. So for me, it was recognizing that I was not eating out of care for my body um, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I was torturing myself with food. Um, And recognizing that was sort of the first really big step in allowing me to break out of that and ask myself, okay am I hungry right now? Or like, what do I actually want to eat right now? Like what's going to make me feel good. And as I started moving, as I started practicing yoga, that naturally changed the way I ate, you know, because before I wasn't putting myself out there at all. I wanted to just be home and sit. And you know, when you're sort of feeling lethargic or you're dealing with depression or all of these things, you, you sort of, it's easy to kind of enjoy the heaviness of food and just feeling heavy. Um, And so it's sort of been breaking out of that psychological pattern and getting to this place where, you know, I recognize the way I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And instead of responding with food, which I still do from time to time, but you know, instead of responding with food, I, I consider the way that I'm feeling instead and find a different outlet. Um, and so it's been shifting the relationship with food from just feeling to sort of, you know, what does my body actually need right now? And as I've, grown to respect my body in a way that I never did before to believe that you know my body is worthy of taking care of well that looks like a lot of different things and my relationship with food is a huge part of that
7: well and you bring up the point of awareness because I'm here to tell you that every female has an issue with food period oh absolutely Absolutely. you know and and the awareness is so beautiful because I mean, I too love to binge when those Sundays that I get to have off, I love thinking about what am I going to eat today that I yeah. can't wait? What, what can I not? I, I'm so thrilled I get to eat whatever I want today. And I give myself that yeah. luxury on Sunday. And it's a binge day. I mean, I, I go for broke because I love food so much. And it's been such a liberating feeling for me personally to mindfully binge as opposed to numbing mm-hmm. out and binging. And that's the point that awareness is so critical because emotions and eating and our physical form are, they, they're, they can't be separate. They're all interchangeable and they're all interconnected. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people that don't, get to a happy or a peaceful or an accepting relationship with food, it's because they stay in the numb zone. They don't connect the emotions to the hunger, to the lack of hunger, but to the food going down the throat. So really, even if you're still at war with food, I think awareness is step number one because then at least you're saying, I'm binging and I'm binging a lot and I'm binging often. But I'm noting that I'm binging. I'm aware of it. Now, what am I feeling? And unearthing that feeling because that feeling will set you free. And, you know, as women, I'll be honest, I often think about this because, no, for example, just the word no is a masculine word. Mm -hmm. And with that, I am so conscious when I'm working with individuals privately. We have all been treated like these animals that aren't allowed to do certain things, whether it's say no, whether it's to be angry, whether it's to be verbal, whether it's to be really pitched up like a guy can be, and then let it out, say it, what is it? we're, we're, We're taught to feel good feelings and to act a certain way. And this is globally. And I think one of the great ways to really enhance one's relationship with food is to allow yourself all your feelings. You said it beautifully. It could be joy. It could be sad. It could be happy. It could be angry. Food was still that vehicle. That was my drug of choice. And yet feel everything and then be aware of what happens when you feel everything and make sure you're not putting certain emotions in the corner and not allowing them and honestly take a look at how often you say no when you mean no and not yes when you mean no.
8: Hard. <laughs> one of the hardest lessons <laughs> like tr- truly uh, I think yeah. that. You know and, and I, it's also it's so much You know, I think that by not acknowledging feelings, that that is what sort of innately leads to the hate zone, kind of as I call it. And I'm a firm believer that there's no chance that you can ever, ever hate your way to health or ever hate your way to loving yourself or whatever it is you know, however you want to call it. Um, And so for me, it's like, it's exactly what you said, you know, if and when I binge, I just acknowledge that that happened. Um, You know, if it was the kind of thing where I had accepted I was going to do that and there are no hard feelings, or was it like an emotional spiraling, this was crazy and I had one of these moments and then, okay, well, can I just forgive myself for having that and, and move on? And I think that that is, you know, one of the hardest parts of all of this and and diet culture and this, you know, the idea of perfection and you have to do it this exact way and, you know, no slip ups and just, it, it makes it impossible. It's just not possible like that. You know? So I've been working on this, you know, binge eating and, and my relationship with food for two years. And do I still binge eat? And do I still have these emotional freak outs where I eat? And then I'm like crying and I'm eating until I feel like I can't eat anymore. And I'm still eating like, yeah, I, I do still do that. And I, acknowledge that I do it, I ask myself what happened and why, and then I forgive myself for doing it, so I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up and decide, okay, well, this is it. I mean, now I'm just on the downward spiral. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, and I think that so many people were so hard on ourselves, especially as women, that, you know, okay, we're doing great, we're doing great, and then the one slip-up sends us down this, okay, well, now I'm doomed to, to be on this path. You know, so, so much of it for me is also this, Okay, if I slip, can I just forgive myself, acknowledge it, forgive myself, and just take the next step? You know, every single moment is a chance to just take the next step in whatever direction you want to go in. You know, one one thing does not equal, you know, the downward spiral. And I think that that is, that's a really hard pattern to break out of.
7: Well, I think that aligns with the idea of negative self-talk versus positive self-talk and I believe positive oh, yeah. self-talk is love. It's love, self-love. It's 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 the love we 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 deserve. It's the love we are capable of and it's the love that we have a capacity for. But what it means yeah. is exactly what you're describing. You fall, you stand up. You you know, you're aware of it. You screw up, Well, we all screw up, so the compassion is greater than the shame, because the shame spiral is really when you end up in that place of paralysis, where you can't get up off the couch, you can't stop eating the donuts, you don't even know what you feel, and so in order to avoid that, and to keep from going into that sort of a vortex, it's all about Self love and saying in that self speak, which I say in my book, Feel Good Naked, I talk a lot about self hatred. And I defined it as that when I wrote the book in 2001. And it wasn't a term that was used often then, but it was all about identifying the voice you speak to yourself with. What are you really saying to yourself silently? Because that right there is a big game changer when you can turn that voice into self-love and get rid of that negative self-talk that is so destructive and abusive.
8: Absolutely. I mean, and just, you know, you're talking about listening, you know, and it's, it's you know, listening and feeling and all of these things. And, and it's it's funny, it's, you know, I do it now with food and with myself and, it, and with my relationships and other people. And it, it really is, it's sort of less action and, and more listening, you know, in, in whatever sense that that makes sense for you. Um, and it, it's, gosh, it's just, it's exactly what you're, you're saying about, you know, you go into this cycle of binge eating or whatever it is for you and then you don't even know what you're doing anymore because you've just been like blacked out from it. Yeah, yeah, um, And yeah, and that's what leaves you feeling empty, right? I mean, that, that is exactly what leaves you feeling worthless. Um, because you just don't even know how you got there, you know, and there's nothing more defeating than feeling like you took yourself to a low point, um, sort of in the blink of an eye, you know, like it just passed right by.
7: Yeah, and so if you're listening and you can relate to that experience, right this second is the moment to give yourself a lot of self-love and compassion to know that you're not alone, and to realize that the very next second, you can make a different decision. You can choose a different way to go. You can make space for your feelings, no matter how dark or scary they are. And there is no salvation in the numbness that the food will take you to if you aren't aware and you aren't conscious of listening to the self-speak. And and that's a yeah. transition that leads us, I think, beautifully to the yoga world that you're in, because um, I'm I'm a dancer and my... Workout is a really cool program I created here in Portland called Stretch Appeal, and it sort of combines the idea of dance and balance with moving yoga and breath and a meditative element at the end. And I say meditative because that to me is this silent inner observer that you spoke of when you were talking about being an active listener to your own soul and self and I think that yoga does a really beautiful job of taking people there as does meditation and I speak of meditation and people say I'm intimidated by it all I really want to mention and then get your input is it's simply paying attention my guru in India always says you're not supposed to just be quiet and feel peaceful you're probably going to be the opposite of that. And all you're doing is observing that. It's monkey mind. It's chaos. It's the to-dos. But that's just the observer checking in with self. It doesn't have to be peaceful and silent and supportive. Sometimes it's just understanding where you are. So I'd love for your input about your life in yoga, how I've seen some of your videos and I would love to take your class because I would probably like yoga the way you teach it. I find it a (laughs) a little bit constricting in some of the programs that I have tried and I don't like holding positions at my age um, but tell tell us about the observer that you've become internally mm. through the practice of yoga and do you call it meditation
8: yeah well the first thing i mean i was kind of laughing to myself when you were saying um you know people come to to practice to meditate meditation practice and are intimidated by it and have this expectation that they're going to be met with silence, which is <laughs> so funny to me. I mean, that's like hilarious to me, because, especially, I mean, you could be the most aware person in the world and sit down for meditation and not be experiencing silence, but most of us are shut off from, you know, I think all day is just, I'm suppressing this and this and this and this. And then, so it's, it's hilarious to me that, sure. you know, we think that we'll come to sit after sort of ignoring every emotion that we felt all day and expect to feel nothing still, you know, I mean, how telling is that? But yeah, so for me, I mean, gosh, it's so funny because my yoga practice as dramatic as it sounds has, you know, I mean, it's truly changed my life. I, I have learned more through myself in the last two years, two and a half years than I, you know, I ever could have imagined. And, you know, this, we were talking about this, this, the action of listening and, and observation has sort of become the pinnacle of my life. And not only does it allow me to better understand me, it also allows me to interact with everybody and every thing around me better because not only do I know and understand myself more strongly now than ever in my life, but by being able to know who I am, I can see other things and other people, you know, being what they are without having to take it personally, without having to be attacked. So this, you know, this this concept of, of observing, it sort of bleeds into everything in your life and just makes everything a little less, um, you know, heavy. So for my, you know, and I do meditate now, like separate from my yoga practice, I meditate now. But I, it, I had to build up to it because it was very challenging for me in the beginning. I found my asana practice, my physical practice, much Easier and much more accessible, even though it was so challenging, than to sit and be, you know, silent or whatever for, for you know, maybe five minutes. And so for me, the experience was. That chatter, you know, the internal, the dialogue, was with me through my whole practice in the beginning. You know, I would show up to practice, and I'm talking to myself the whole time. Okay, I'm in I'm in down dog now, and my shoulders are really tired. I'm going to take a child's pose, okay? And now I'm trying for crow, and I'm too fat, and I'm never going to be able to do this. My foot won't come off the ground. So this this dialogue is going on the entire time I'm practicing. And as I continued to practice, I started to notice that sort of the gaps, the, the moments of... of you know, when you, as you practice, what am I trying to say? As you continue to practice, you start to experience those moments of peace. You start to get those glimpses of, oh, like okay, this feels okay right now, and I feel really present and really, you know, you have these little moments of, of sort of clarity or silence or peace or whatever, however you experience it. And I noticed that as I continued to practice, that those moments of calm got longer and longer and longer and longer until. I would get through a practice, a physical practice, without the chatter, without the internal dialogue, where I was actually just present in the moment with my breath, feeling what was going on in my body physically and emotionally and all of these things. And that, in turn, is what allowed me to find an actual meditation practice of being able to sit with myself um, and experience it for exactly what it is, to recognize that the internal dialogue will continue to be there, but that as you practice these things and as you become more observant of what you're actually saying to yourself, that those moments of peace in between get a little bit longer until that sort of becomes your baseline. You know, I I think a lot of people sort of have this expectation for happiness, but for me, and especially before talking about yoga, it's santosha and yoga, right? It's contentment. To me, it's, it's not about happiness. It's not about happiness. It's not about sadness. It's about contentment. And you, knowing who you are so strongly from observing, that your sort of baseline of contentment is always there. So then no matter what happens, no matter how exciting life gets for a second or how awful it gets for a second, you still have this, I know who I am, um, no matter what.
7: Oh, that's so beautifully said. And that really is the definition of equanimity because I think that um, and and non-judgment and equanimity and non-judgment are synonymous. But I, I have to say that what you just described is exactly what I have experienced in my meditation practice, which I've been devout to since 2010. And I... I just can't believe how it is the gift that keeps giving. And mm-hmm. I've often heard it said that you don't you don't go into it expecting the payoff or the reward. You just commit to it. And then the reward and the payoff unfold in these moments that you can't know are going to happen. And then you realize my practice is serving me and right this second, I am experiencing that contentment or equanimity, whereas my former self would have been pissed off, reactive, escalate, um, judge, and then I don't have that anymore. It's like, whoa, that is too great. That right there is going to keep me on my mat forever because it's the only way I've been able to surf the seas of this incarnation is having some sort of an understanding that I choose what to think that I choose what to say and all of that is a combined gift from being an active listener to what's happening on the inside
8: Yeah, well, and it's, it's so, I'm like smiling because I'm just, you're, you speak and say the same things, you know, that I've (laughs) experienced and thought as you just said. So, and it's funny because I talk to other people who, it's not just yoga and it's just, it's this kind of lifestyle of just being awake, honestly, is, it's like higher consciousness, um, you know, and everyone sort of weaves the same, I don't know. There's like a very specific language uh, that yeah. evolves around people who sort of practice this sort of lifestyle and it's just always nice to talk to. But yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it, it, it is this sense of, of awakeness. You know, I feel like I was asleep in my life until two years ago and then slowly started to open my eyes, like slowly, slowly, slowly started to open my eyes and now I'm at this place where because I've been able to observe and because I can sit here and, and say very plainly, these are, these are my character traits. You know, these are the things that I'm good at. These are the gifts that I have to offer. And then these are the things that are not so great. These are the things that are challenging for me and, and, you know, and, and my interactions with other people and just all of these things. And so that is what has led me to this intense and very passionate authenticity um, that I'm now experiencing and why I feel so awake um, and why I feel so able to forgive myself and experience what I'm feeling and all these things because I recognize who I actually am. I recognize that that's a beautiful thing and that I don't need to change any of these things. I just need to be exactly what I am and just experience and just live and grow and, and remain conscious and awake and feeling, you know, all of these things that we're talking about. And when you get to this place, you know, where you're experiencing you as authentically as possible or as authentically as you've experienced, it can be terrifying. And I've, I've come to this kind of conclusion that, you know, I think a lot of people just sort of sit in this, um, this asleep kind of state because there is nothing There is nothing more intense, there is nothing more, you know, bold than living your authentic life because that is true fearlessness um, and vulnerability and just all of these things that can be so terrifying to us. And I think, you know, it's easier to stay asleep. It's easier not to listen. It's easier to, you know, not pay attention to how you're feeling and just sort of coast and accept that you're just going to feel shitty like this Or you can wake up and become conscious and ask these questions and be inquisitive and all of these things and live in a way that is, you know, on edge a little bit, perhaps, but alive and who you actually are and what is better than that.
7: Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. And, and I, and I do want to again say to anyone listening who thinks I'm too far gone, right this second. <laughs> this this can change the way you view yourself. You don't have to be good at this. It's not a competition. It's not I'll never get where she is or she is. It's simply accepting the information, looking within. And deciding that you too are going to do this differently and wake up and stop handing the power over to other people. I mean, you know, one of the things that I personally find wild, interesting, and bizarre all at the same time is everybody often says, oh, I just want a partner. I just want to be loved. I just want to get married. I just want to be in a relationship. You got to have a relationship with yourself like that is fundamental to your well-being. And if you are committed to that, you don't even think about the partner, the marriage, the relationship. It is just an unfolding with others that is Organic and authentic to you. It isn't about finding that which is outside of yourself. And I believe that that seeking other is so metaphoric for the avoidance of knowing who you really are.
8: Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, and that this just reminds me so much of, you know, my whole life. And this is another, this is such a, you know, I think women get trapped in this so hard. I'm such a people pleaser. Like, over the top my whole life you know always and I am like I'm a teacher and a guider and like this it definitely is a part of who I am in a very positive way but always your strengths are your weaknesses and vice versa and I see these you know there's parts of myself where I used to focus so much so much externally how can I help these other people how can I focus on you so that I don't need to focus on me and there are so many ways that we do that you know by looking for a partner by you know whatever it is and it's so true that once you sort of come home to yourself. And and for me, that's what the whole practice is about. It's like, it's how I have a seat in myself. I mean, that's literally how I translate it. You know, asana, if you want to talk about it like that, literally means seat. So it's how can I have this seat within myself, this contentment, this, you know, equanimity, no matter what is going on. Um, And it allows you to live freely. You know, it allows me, I've noticed such a shift in my relationships, you know, outside of myself. It's easier for me to let other people be who they are because I have finally found a way to let myself be who I am. So I'm not constantly fighting other people in their own struggles because I recognize my own, you know. It just, it leads, it opens so many doors to just live a freer and just more authentic and just, you know, a truly fulfilled life, you know. And I really believe that all these things start with this, looking inward and observing and self-care and, and taking care of ourselves in, in, in every possible way so that we can be these, these amazing versions of who we are for ourselves and also for everybody in our lives.
7: To come home to ourself. That is so poetic the way you said that. Yeah, to come home to yourself is the whole point. And it's step by step, day by day, breath by breath, asana to asana dance motion to dance motion but there is a beautiful mantra in the notion of come home to yourself that's that's what this is about i would love for you to talk as a leader in the body positive movement um can you tell our listeners just exactly what that is the body positive movement well it's a funny
8: question because it's 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 evolved quite a bit, and it's you know been on trend sort of the last two years. So it's something that it's been around much longer than I've been sort of a part of it, um, and especially sort of in the the yoga community. Um, you know, I, I have many people in mind who I've looked up to. Um, you know, Anna Guest Jelly and Amber Carnes and Diane Bondi and these people who have been sort of these these leaders in this in this, you know, you can have any body and still be healthy and still move and still feel good and all of these things. Um, and so for me, it's, it's about, it's actually so little about the body, um, which is the irony of it. And, you know, it's been such an important part of my language and my teaching to actually move away from it. Um, To the point where it's not about the external, you know, and I tell my students, my students come to class, well, you know, I can't step forward from, you know, down dog to lunge because my belly is in the way. And I said, I say, look, you know, at a certain point, will your physical body actually limit you in certain ways? Absolutely. But the strongest thing that will limit you ever is you. Ever is your mind you know just because you can't do this one thing just because this posture isn't accessible to you or whatever it is however it makes sense in your life does that mean that you're lesser does that mean that you're unworthy or not beautiful or any of these things absolutely not um, because you're experiencing and you're breathing and you're, you know, you're doing everything that you could possibly be doing to feel amazing and, and that's what it's all about um, you know it's about the authenticity it's about being able to just live your life and not have to be focused so externally but it's it's moved so much, you know. I mean, this last year, it's it's become very trendy. Like body positive is everywhere, which is it's it's. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, actually. I'm a, I was at the mall. I was at the mall last night and walking by this lingerie store, and I see in the window the ads in the window. You know, we like we are everybody or we are all bodies or something like that. And each of the photos, you know, they had like two very thin white girls and then they had one kind of curvy white girl and then the token black girl a little bit curvy. And I'm just like, you know, and I see this everywhere now where this body positive movement has become, you know, oh, people are paying attention to this. This is important to people right now. So we're using it to sell things. And all of a sudden, everybody, everybody is the epitome of body positive. So, you know, if I could give any message at this point, it's that It's not any of that stuff, and I'm happy to see the representation slowly but surely, but body positivity is also not the size 14 hourglass curvy uh, model. You know, body positivity is also the size 22, 24 apple-shaped woman and you know and older and all of these things you know so and it's not about the body like it is it's about accepting it's about allowing it to be exactly what it is but the whole point is that it's actually not about the body it's about not looking at that it's about looking past that um beyond that to the point where no matter what your external shape looks like, the body is transient, right? It changes all the time. No matter what you do, your body will always change. So as long as you are putting any amount of worth um, in your life on that, that that will forever be unfulfilling, you know? So for me, the whole movement is about looking beyond that um, to more, to more than that, to see what is there, Um, you know, and also recognizing that it's not sort of the image that it's become. It's not this, It's not the curvy hourglass size 14. Um, You know, that is not the image of body positivity. Body positivity is literally everybody, disabled bodies, older bodies, you know, all of these things.
7: Oh man, that is so helpful because you're right. There has been a seductive quality to the whole, I think the Kardashian sort of uh, media obsessed world led to a misunderstanding about what body positive really is and what it means and if anything it's a reflection as to where you are in your subconscious, conscious, internal mind and understanding the direct link to your body and that again they're not separable. You can't put them in one either side of the room. They are together, they are integrated and they, they must be understood and that takes effort but it's super worth it, so worth it no matter what your size or your disability or your color or your age and I'm at the age now where there's so much emphasis on your age your number yeah what are you what are you going to do about that area under your chin what about your Mm -hmm. eyes and and I am so excited I am loving aging I am digging my lines I am digging my belly I am so loving getting older and not going in any way in the direction of trying to thwart time because i've never been happier so heck man i'm digging all of my 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 parts and as i'm digging them and loving them i'm noting how much i've had to make that decision with all of the seduction messaging subliminal um Communication that's going on every single second, and, and once you're aware of it, it's so freeing to just not buy into it or go near it. And it's oh, it's absolutely. been it's so sexy absolutely. and fun. <laughs> I love yeah. getting older. Um, I wanted to ask you. I I said in the beginning of our show that I think we're here to teach what we're here to learn and. I'm eager to know with all of the thousands of women that you come into contact with, what would you say is the most common or a couple of the most common things that you hear that are holding women back from this full concept of self-love? What What is the main deterrent? What do you think are the obvious obstacles that are, generally speaking, common for many? Yeah,
8: I think, you know, there are many and I I have heard I've heard everything that you could think of. I think that one of the and and this is true to my experience as well. I think one of the key things is this concept of isolation. I think that, you know, sort of backtracking to what we were talking about in the very beginning about the pressure on women to sort of portray this happiness and, you know, not feel these negative feelings and not experience any of these things. And I think that that leads to so much isolation. Um, and I felt that myself, I felt like, you know, nobody feels like this. Nobody understands that I feel like this this insane insecurity and this lack of self-worth and everyone else seems so happy. And, you know, what is wrong with me and, and why am I the only person who feels like this? And as soon as I became, vulnerable and transparent about it and started expressing it, um, and, you know, for me, that was online and it turned into this whole thing I never could have imagined, but it could be as simple as just talking to your friends and being very candid or, or you know, a family member or whatever. Um, as soon as I did that, it was like every woman across the world piped up and was like, I am dealing with this, too in my own way and also in the same way and you know everything that you say sounds like my story i mean how many times have i heard that where you know i write something in a caption and the comments are you know i could have written that i could have written that that was like exactly my experience and so not feeling isolated not feeling like i was the only person experiencing what i was going through and having the comfort of all, you know, it's so funny because all of these people are always, you're so inspiring to me and, you know, you've changed my life so much. And I'm, I'm so, I'm so appreciative and grateful that by being who I am, that that is, you know, that that's a possibility. But for me, it's, it's, it's a two way street, you know, for all of these other people, all these other women and men to come forward and and say that they've been struggling with this you know, is, has been comforting to me and has allowed me to grow as well. So I think a huge part of it is community and, and understanding that, you know, no one is going through any of this stuff alone. And I think that that is one of the biggest blockers that we, you know, we feel like we can't express it and we can't talk about it or ask questions or ask for help. You know, so many people, myself included have such a hard time asking for help, reaching out, saying, you know, I'm not cool right now. I'm not doing okay. I need someone's help. You know, I think all of these things create these huge blocks of, you know, energy and just sort of, they end the thought process and they end the growth process because we feel like there's inevitably nowhere further to go. Um, so I think one of the biggest things, sort of the biggest tip that I could give and and the most common thing that I hear is that it is that, you know, by, um, expressing your own struggles in whatever way makes sense to you, <clears throat> not only is that powerful to you, um, but it's powerful to the people around you and possibly even to people that you'll never meet. Um, so definitely, you know, that sense, that sense of isolation. Um, and I think as soon as you stop feeling that, cause the other most common thing that I hear, one of the most common things that I hear is you look like me. You know, I mean, I show my body very candidly and I do that very purposefully and I get these reactions all the time. You look like me. Like when I look at you, I see my body. Like I see that you have similar shape and, and, you know, cellulite here and stretch marks here and all these things. And I look at you and I think that you are so beautiful. And then I look at myself and I can't see it in myself. Um, mm. You know, and so I think that so much of it too is the more that we get this representation, the more that we express this vulnerability and sort of bring everybody together, the more that we can allow, um, ourselves to see beauty sort of in other people and even in their flaws, you know, that we're often so quiet about, that those are the things that allow us to slowly but surely, you know, I have people come back over time, you know, oh, I wore a bikini for the first time today to the beach and I didn't care. Oh, I saw my stretch marks on my belly in the mirror and I didn't care. They didn't bother me for the first time. So it's these little baby steps of coming to realize that the beauty and all of the amazing things that you see so quickly in other people are all of the same things that are within you and are all of the same things that other people love and see and appreciate and think are beautiful about you.
7: Mm, that's. So-